Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. My name is Carrie Miller. I am the Associate Director for Operations at Ohio City Incorporated, and I'm honored to be here today to introduce today's speaker, the City of Manager for Sandusky, Ohio, Eric Wolpser. Sandusky has historically been known by most outside of Northeast Ohio as the home of Cedar Point. Even to those in Northeast Ohio, many just think of its miles of shoreline along the scenic Sandusky Bay with a great amusement park. But one of his goals as he began his journey as city manager was to help his hometown realize its potential, and by all accounts, he has done so. Eric has shown the 25,000 residents of Sandusky, those in Northeast Ohio and beyond, that the city of Sandusky has so much to offer. Eric hit the ground running when he arrived in Sandusky. One of his first actions was to develop a plan that would guide the city's move towards its renaissance. The goals of the Bicentennial Vision Plan were to create a vibrant, livable, safe, connected destination city. Since the plan's inception in 2018, Sandusky has seen over $300 million in public and private investment $100 million in downtown Sandusky alone. Eric is also credited with helping to pass a levy to raise the admissions and income tax rates, allowing the creation of government positions to help address key quality of life issues such as code enforcement, blight elimination, safe homes, and illegal dumping. He has also worked on public-private partnerships to help create incentive programs to assist and attract uh, businesses. Most recently, the city has gained national attention for swapping Columbus Day for Election Day as a recognized municipal holiday and was named America's best coastal small town by USA Today. <laughs> Sandusky serves as a prime example of the important role small cities have on state identities and successes. I would be remiss at this point if I did not talk about the work Eric did during his time in Cleveland, much of which reverberates in his achievements in Sandusky. I met Eric first when he came to Cleveland in 2001 as an AmeriCorps member with City Year Cleveland. This is where we were both able to learn about Cleveland in depth through the eyes of the youth we served. After receiving his law degree from the University of Michigan, he returned to Cleveland to participate as an inaugural member of the Cleveland Executive Fellowship, followed by a position as Special Projects Manager to the Mayor of Cleveland. In 2009, Eric became the Executive Director of what is now called Ohio City Incorporated, the Community Development Corporation serving the Ohio City neighborhood. During his five-year tenure, Eric built strategically upon the neighborhood's assets, 150-year-old St. Ignatius High School, the 100-year-old Westside Market, and other anchors like Great Lakes Brewing Company and Lutheran Hospital, revitalizing the neighborhood by attracting businesses, helping grow amenities, and bringing new residents to a complete walkable neighborhood. 
Eric left an indelible mark on both Ohio City and the city of Cleveland and has already made an impression on the city of Sandusky. We are lucky to have him back in Cleveland today to continue learning from his insights. Esteemed guests, members, and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming to the stage Mr. Eric Wolpser. Thank you. Thank you. I'm on, I'm on short time and I can talk a lot, so I'm, I, you, but I, I appreciate it so much. I actually, I already blew it. I went for a hug with Carrie and she missed it walking off. She went stage left. I was coming in from stage right. Uh, it is such an honor to be back in the City Club and to be back in Cleveland. I have such incredible memories of the City Club. I see Sanjeev Kapoor sitting there. And before I even knew Sanjeev was coming, uh, who's a partner with Jones Day Cleveland, a place that I had a cup of coffee at in the summer of 2004 for about 10 weeks and had a chance to catch up with uh, Dick Pogue, who's at the head table today, who spent decades there. Uh, and Sanjeev knew from a few brief conversations that I was really interested in civic affairs, and he asked me really early in my tenure as a summer associate if I wanted to come to the city club with him, which at that point I didn't even know existed. Uh, and Bob Taft, I think it was Governor Bob Taft who was speaking at that time, and I came here and found out that there is an organization dedicated to dialogue and debate and to sharing ideas, and I was hooked on Cleveland, and I was hooked on the City Club, and I've been a, it's been a part of me ever since. But I did want to tell uh, my favorite story, the City Club actually didn't take place at the City Club at all. Uh, but we have a huge Ohio City contingency here today. Unfortunately, uh, the person I'm going to tell the story about isn't one of them, but maybe I'll see him later at Hoople's, because Tom McNair tells me there's a, a wild happy hour plan there later uh, <laughs> that I'll try to race back to if I can. But uh, Tom Gillespie, uh, who many of you know from Ohio City, he's a local property owner, developer, scoundrel, what, whatever, but, but he's, <laughs> he is a great guy, and he's more Cleveland than even Cleveland in a lot of different ways. And I remember sitting at Hoople's with him probably 10 years ago, maybe, uh, and talking about, as you tend to do at Hoople's, and, and if Tom Gillespie is your quintessential uh, Irish Catholic Clevelander, Hoople's is your quintessential Cleveland bar. Uh, it sits on the banks of the Cuyahoga River overlooking downtown, but barges going by, working class people uh, mixing with hipsters and professionals. Uh, there's a bike path that's being planned to run by that the owner of which is uh, greatly protesting it will probably be the best thing that ever happened to him. So uh, we've got Michelle and Jeff from Environmental Design Group. We, we're planning one of those two and we're going through acquisition stage, but that's Cleveland. And so I was sitting there with Tom probably a decade ago and we were having a beer and we, we were doing what you do when you're having a beer at Hoople's. We were solving all of Cleveland's problems. And, and he said to me, and I'll never forget it because it, it stuck with me when I was thinking about coming back to speak at the city club today after attending so many times. He said, I've got a city club speech in me. And, and, and it struck me <laughs> because if you want to speak in Cleveland, the place to be heard is the city club of Cleveland. So we're gonna find out today whether I have a city club speech <laughs> in me. And hopefully I'll be able to talk about it with Tom later if he finds his way there. If anybody sees him, tell him I said hi. But uh, I want to start by saying it's great to be home. And I mean that in two ways. I mean that in the sense that it's great to be back in Cleveland. So many of the people that I see in this room today from Cleveland that I met in Cleveland when I came here uh, in 2004 and then stayed for a decade feel like friends and family to me. And ironically, so many of the people in this room uh, short of my immediate family, so oh, I'm so grateful could be here today. Um, and, and so many of those people 
were strangers to me at the time that I actually went back to Cleveland. And, and I want to borrow a line from Joe Simperman, who I'm so glad was here today. It's probably the reason that a lot of you are here today. Uh, he's been a really important mentor to me over the years. And he had a saying that I really picked up on about old friends we'd just met. And so ultimately, so many of those people in Sandusky who are here today, I might not have met you at the time that I came back to Sandusky, but in five years in the trenches together, uh, we've accomplished so much. And it's great to be home in Sandusky just as well as it's great to be back today in Cleveland. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, why I went back to Sandusky, because things in Cleveland were going so well. And in fact, I think that that was a big part of why I started to get the itch to go home, was we were having such a special time in Ohio City uh, in the years that I lived there and then the years that I had a chance to work there. And, and I want to get into some of the individuals who are a part of that, uh, because so many of you are here today, but I, I don't want to leave anybody out, and there's too many to mention, so uh, we'll, we'll play that by ear. But, uh, I remember when we were there, and ultimately, things started to happen. And Ohio City, like every urban success story, was an overnight success story that took 40 years to actually happen. Uh, multiple generations, multiple organizations, individual business owners. But for those of us that were there, maybe early 2011, and, and, and so many of you were, it felt so special. And Virginia, I remember talking to you and Amanda and Tom and everybody on the staff at that time, Ben, Carrie. Uh, about we can't take this for granted. This kind of, you don't get to live through something like this when a special neighborhood that's been in hard times, and again, the work there, if it took 40 years to, to, to get going, uh, it's gonna take another 40 years to figure out some of the challenges that continue to exist in Ohio City and Cleveland. But it felt like a once in a lifetime opportunity, and it felt like we were a part of something that was bigger than ourselves. And you didn't think necessarily that it could be replicated. But because of that mix of people and that mix of timing, uh, I started to think, gosh, couldn't something like this happen where I'm from? Couldn't something like this happen in Sandusky, uh, what it, which was also a really special place and also had a, a really unique mix of assets and individuals and characters and people that cared about it. And so I really started to think about what would it be like if I would go home? And I increasingly, as we started a family, started to spend more and more time in Sandusky. And I'll always remember a morning where I drove downtown from my parents' place and I took a jog on the lake, which I don't do often. And, and of course, I was, I was listening to music from the 1990s uh, because I had, a, I had a friend in law school once who said, it's like you bought every CD in the 90s and then you just stopped. Uh, which is why I surround myself with young people today so that I can, the, the key is always surround yourself with people with new ideas and let them keep you young. Don't make them old, if that makes sense. And so, uh, but I was listening and a song came out by the Smashing Pumpkins and it was Tonight Tonight, for those of you that know it, but there was one line in that song and I'll always remember this. It truly felt like a, a, a special moment. And the line was said, the embers never fade in the city by the lake, the place that you were born. And I was starting to deliberate, could I come back to Sandusky? Uh, that was when I knew for sure that I wanted to go back to Sandusky and I wanted to be a part of what was happening there. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about how I got back to Sandusky because there's some really important people in this room, both on the Cleveland side of that and the Sandusky side of that, that made that possible. Uh, Jim Rokakis is here today. And uh, I remember Jim finding out somehow that I was from Sandusky and I wanted to go back. And, and by the way, as I really dive into this speech, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is how statewide advocacy and statewide work can make the lives of people in legacy cities better. And we'll get into what those are. But there's probably no better example on a statewide basis than the work that Jim did to bring county land banks to nearly every urban county in the state over the last decade uh, that made that possible. And so Jim had become a mentor to me as well. 
And he set up a meeting because he'd spent a lot of time in Erie County with leaders of Erie County, a lot of whom are here today. And that led to a relationship with Dennis Murray Jr., our current commission president, and Dick Brady, our commission vice president. And ultimately, that began a two-year conversation that led to me getting back. And I was so excited to get back. It was painful to leave Cleveland, but uh, to be home and to have a chance to work on these issues there was really special. So I want to talk a little bit about what I found in Sandusky, because I think Sandusky, in very many ways, uh, wasn't the place that I grew up in at the time, uh, or the place that I left in 1997 and then came back to in 2014. I think it had changed a great deal. I think that. Uh, one, there were a lot of really difficult political challenges happening in Sandusky at that time. When I took my position as city manager, for example, they had gone through seven city managers or acting city managers in about a 14-year period. So people were, were being cycled out about every two years. And in addition to that, uh, they had a, a lot of turnover on the city commission. And I think the relationship between the city and the private institutions and companies that were based in the city could have been a lot better than it was. I think the city spent too much time fighting with itself and not enough time really talking to its stakeholders. And, and so that was a challenge, but it really was a tale of two cities. And, and I want to be clear as I say this, all of these pieces that I'm about to explain that I think gave me confidence in going back to Sandusky existed well before I got there. Um, one, you could see a spark, just like in Ohio City, of people that were opening businesses in the downtown. There were some small businesses that had opened that had revitalized some old buildings, and it was nascent, but it was clearly happening. And in addition to that, we had new leadership in a lot of really important places, uh, one of which was the Sandusky City Commission. Dennis and Dick and Naomi, all of whom are here today, and I want to thank all of our commissioners that make it. I see Blake Harris here as well. Uh, they decided to run and to try to bring stability back to the city government, and they did that. Uh, and, and we had new leadership at Cedar Fair. Uh, Richard Zimmerman is here today, who was the chief operating officer at that time. And he succeeded Matt We Met, who came in really with a mandate to try to help Sandusky solve its issues, to know that the company couldn't succeed if the community wasn't succeeding and other places. And then Dr. Eugene Sanders, who many of you know from Cleveland, uh, had already gone back to the schools and really tar started to help people to think differently about what was possible in that school system. So there are all these things. It was, it was a place that I think had been battered psychologically by globalization. It had been battered by sprawl. Uh, it had faced really negative perceptions. And if I had to describe it, it had low self-esteem civically. But that being said, in addition to that, you saw the roots that were planted, and that made me excited to go back and to be a part of it. Uh, Sandusky, in addition to being a tale of two cities sort of from a political perspective, was also a tale of two cities from a, an economic perspective. Uh, just as Carrie said in her remarks, uh, for most people, particularly in Cleveland, when you hear about Sandusky, the first thing you think about is Cedar Point. You know, and, and, and I had people from Cleveland say, uh, why are you going back to a beach town or a resort town? Like, I thought you were into urban stuff. Like, what, like is, is, aren't you going to be bored? And the reality is, we are a beach town. We are a resort town, and that puts us on the map. Uh, in fact, uh, and I want to thank Larry Fletcher from Lake Erie Shores and Islands for providing this data, we're about to cross a $2 billion threshold in the economic activity that tourism is bringing to our community on an annual basis. But in addition to being this great destination for others, we're also a legacy city, as Allison Goble from the Greater Ohio Policy Center calls it, in that we had been battered by industrial decline. Uh, at one point, there was a GM plant and a Ford plant that sat just outside the borders of Sandusky. 
that employed 6,000 people in a county of about 77,000 people. That doesn't exist anymore. And Sandusky was hit hard by other factors as well. Uh, you, know, you know, being in a county that wasn't growing, yet people were moving further and further out of the core city, making it harder and more expensive to service them. And again, I think leading to a lot of the, the difficulties in uh, the idea that um, we were a place that really wasn't going anywhere. In fact, I had a lot of people that were important in my life that I think wanted to see us back in Sandusky that warned me about coming back because of the economic factors and the political climate. But I was excited to go back, and I, and I was excited to dive in. And so uh, what did we do? I think naturally, just as uh, we discussed this with, uh, in the beginning with Cedar Point being so important, a lot of this started with Cedar Point. And I want to give a big thank you to, to Duff Milkey, uh, who called me in to Cedar Fair's offices. And he is someone who's a Sandusky resident and had spent a long time as general counsel for Cedar Fair, the parent company of Cedar Point. But I think equally important to that, he was somebody that at the time served as the city's law director before he went on to there. So he understood municipal government, he understood the operations, and he cared. And so we started to talk about as the city was facing an incredible deficit going into uh, 2014. We had cut from 300 employees to 200 employees, and ultimately we were facing another one to two million dollar deficit. So we needed to do something. But the city had been really resistant to tax increases in the past. In fact, we sat at 1% municipal because the pro of adding Cedar Point is all the activity. The con is that the citizens think that they should be paying higher taxes to keep their taxes low. And so what we decided on was a compromise. And I think it was a really important compromise. And I think of it less as a compromise as deciding to enter into a partnership. And ultimately we said, okay, let's look to the admissions tax as one way that we can stabilize the city's revenues. But let's also look to an income tax so that citizens can show they have a stake to the game. And that led to issue eight. And folks like Fire Engine Regional Medical Center, uh, the CEO, Jeremy Normington Slays, here today, or Savista Bank, Dennis Schaefer, the CEO, is here today, really jumped on board. And ultimately, we passed issue eight with 60% of the vote, which flip flopped a loss with 60% voting against the last time they tried an income tax increase. And so we had some new revenue, but it's important to note. And, and the reality is, Sandusky is a company town. There are very few people that wouldn't define it as a company town. And I think it's really important when you're in that situation to both embrace the fact that you're a company town and find creative ways to work with that partner to expand beyond the gates of Cedar Point, but to provide economic benefit to the rest of the community. But it's also important to diversify. And that's what Cedar Fair said to us is, if we put new tax dollars into Sandusky, it's important to us that we see some of those resources go into things like economic development. It's important that we see things going into blight elimination and restabilizing our housing stock. And so ultimately, we created new programs in those areas. And, and it led to a year-long process by which we passed the Bicentennial Vision. Uh, and, and that Bicentennial Vision Plan really laid the groundwork for the next five years as to what we were hoping to accomplish as a community. And some of those things, so when I talk about embracing the tourism economy of Sandusky. We talk about it as an, a destination economy that we're trying to build. And so we embrace the fact that we have millions of dollars, or millions of people a year, and billions of dollars a year that pour into the local economy from tourism. But then we also look at, okay, how do we mature that industry so it's more year round, so there's more full-time jobs. And, and, and many of these partnerships are with the city, but many of these are outside of the city. Uh, things like Erie County partnering with Cedar Fair. And, and a lot of the people, I'm so impressed that so many from Sandusky made it up today because most of them are racing back for a ribbon cutting uh, this afternoon of a, of a 120,000 square foot indoor facility that's the second phase of a massive indoor and outdoor sports recreation complex that's bringing hundreds of thousands of new people at the Cedar Point Sports Center. And that wouldn't be possible without Erie County, it wouldn't be possible without Fire and Regional Medical Center, Lake Erie Shores and Islands, and Cedar Fair is the developer and operator of that project. 
But it's important because that indoor facility, which opens this week, is going to be just as busy January through May as it is Memorial Day through Labor Day. And that's important because that means that's bringing people into town. Another project, which Bruce Brothers is here, and they've been a great partner to so much of the redevelopment taking place in the downtown, including is the Cedar Fair School of Resort and Attraction Management. So we have Bowling Green State University under construction right now on a facility that will open in downtown Sandusky this summer in which 200 students a year will go to school and get bachelor's degree, which be becomes a year-round anchor for the downtown, is critical stimulation through the construction dollars that are happening right now. But then most importantly, that's going to spin out people who are working at jobs. I think Duff said probably $50,000 a year starting salaries for the folks coming out of those programs, again, maturing the industry. And then in addition to focusing with Cedar Fair on how we go year-round, I think it's important that we look at how we provide value and focus on projects that are exciting for visitors, but also improve the quality of life for locals. And the project that I can kind of think of the most that I think exemplifies that is the Sandusky Bay Pathway and Landing Park. So through tax increment financing and other creative financing on actually the sports center itself, we've been able to set aside funding to plan for a 11-mile bike trail that'll span the entire city limits, which we hope eventually becomes part of an 80-mile bike trail that hopefully connects with what Cuyahoga County is doing on its own waterfront. I would love to see a unified Lake Erie public access trail that connects all of the assets in the state. But again, that is something that we know because we've heard from Larry, I've heard it from Jason McClure, the general manager of Cedar Point. Now that we've put people on the water and we've promised them this experience, they want to be able to go for a while. They want to be able to jog, they want to be able to bike, and we need to be able to provide them with that experience. But we know in addition to bringing more tourists who will stay longer, that's something that residential real estate developers hear that is needed, and we're linking all of our neighborhoods to it. But it's not just all about tourism in Sandusky. Uh, it is also about what we're doing to diversify from tourism in Sandusky. And we've been able to take the tax dollars from issue eight, and I think really importantly, pour them into our neighborhoods. And by neighborhoods, I mean the work that Dr. Sanders is doing in our schools. Uh, there's a transformation going on there. There's a $70 million construction project in which three new elementary schools are being constructed all the time with the high school just received the only school in the state, I believe, the only high school in the state to receive the state momentum award for the second year in a row. So the transformation plan is working and we're critical partners to that. And Tondra Frisbee and Jason Whirling, who are here from our recreation department, have a motto that says, our rec programs need to be on when the school is off. So we've created a winter break camp, we've created a spring break camp, we've expanded our summer park programming so that we're providing meaningful places for children to go at all the times that they're not in school, which includes meals and mentorship and, and, and community among those places. Uh, we started to invest in neighborhood infrastructure for the first time in a long time. We've got tree programs and park programs and sidewalk programs that didn't exist for well over a decade. Uh, and, and maybe most importantly, one of the most important things, and I know Nicole's here from Sandusky Transit, we've doubled down on public transportation as an important asset. Uh, our system has grown more than double in the last five years, and that's because of investments by Cedar Fair to partner and increased investment in the state, which is important because I think I'm gonna be hard on the state a little bit in this speech and, and what they're doing for legacy and reinvention cities. So it is important to know that some of that gas tax has come back to communities like Sandusky and we're forging public-private partnerships with folks like Cedar Fair to expand transit services, which to me is the perfect example of a public asset that as we have dialogue about, you know, who do we do things for? Is it those who already have mobility or is it those who have the, the most need for mobility? Transit cuts across those lines in such really, really important ways. And so the the, Adding up of all of this, and we've had a lot of really special moments along the way, is that, uh, as was mentioned before, we were named America's best coastal small town. 
and, and I say that tongue-in-cheek a little bit because the reason that we were named America's Best Coastal Small Town is because we stuffed the ballot box. We got to vote for ourselves. <laughs> and I think Clevelanders, and Mr. Pogue maybe better than anybody, can, can know that, that that's a really successful strategy. It's why we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so, uh, but it's important because I'd, I'd rather have elected ourselves, have that be a self-imposed title, because we didn't have to compete for it. And the reality is what that means, and I don't think this would have happened five or six years ago, that means we're starting to believe in ourselves again. We're starting to have local pride again in what Sandusky is. And so this isn't all about Sandusky. I'm sure that there are probably some of you in the room that are like, what's this have to do with Cleveland if you're coming from Cleveland? But I think maybe an even more important question that was raised a couple days ago on Facebook was what does this have to do with Galleon? And I say that because uh, I think the city did a Facebook post, and Galleon's actually not on that list, but this was the, the specific example, so I'll go with it. Uh, we did a Facebook post about this talk and about the new data that Allison's group at Greater Ohio <laughs> put out on what's happening in, in Ohio's smaller cities. And somebody shared it, and they linked to the city of Galleon. And somehow, by virtue of being tagged in the first post, I saw the second post. And somebody responded and said, what's this? this is about Sandusky. What's this have to do with Galleon? And somebody responded to that person saying, I think that there are some things that we can learn from this as we try to reinvent ourselves. And that led to this debate that went on for a while where basically uh, folks were saying, there's already a lot of good things happening in Galleon. And they pointed out existing partnerships. And what happened there, I think is really important, is that a dialogue was taking place. Information about something that was happening in Sandusky was being shared with people who were fortunate or fighting to revitalize their city, which was Galleon. And we have cities like this all over the state, large and small. In fact, the, the map that's up on the board now talks about reinvention in legacy cities. Cleveland is the largest legacy city in Ohio. Sandusky is actually one of the smallest, as it's defined by Greater Ohio at 25,000 people a year. But what legacy cities are, are is they're urban places that were heavily dependent on manufacturing, that anchored suburban and rural regions around them that have suffered a lot of losses because of the transition that's happened economically and I think the sprawl that's probably occurred to pull assets out of cities and into surrounding areas even as communities didn't grow. And so there's a network of people and we're all facing these similar challenges and we all have similar opportunities and, and can take advantage of best practices on how to revitalize ourselves. But to do that, we have to talk about each other and so, or talk to each other, not about each other. We do, Lord knows we do enough talking about each other. But, uh, I think that's important because, you know, when you think about what a legacy is, and I, I looked this up, it's something that you inherit from someone else, and that's out of your control. But it's also something that you pass on to someone else. And so when you think about the legacy of the city, one, I think it's important to note out, I don't think of Ohio as a place in the same way I think of Sandusky as a place, or Zanesville as a place, or Mansfield as a place, or Lima as a place. The reality is Ohio, are some natural boundaries than otherwise imaginary lines that we drew over a vast country that is the United States of America so that we could govern ourselves. But located within Ohio are all these really special communities that have a legacy. And, and I think it's matter because these places aren't going away. You know what I mean? The, the reality is I think you know, there's some places that are small enough that they may turn into Scooby-Doo ghost towns eventually. And you can see, you can see the, the places that that's happening. The places as big as Sandusky, as big as 25,000 anchoring regions of 100,000 or more, they're going to be here. And they're going to dictate the political climate of Ohio, the economic climate of Ohio. In fact, if you look, 
in just, this is 20 counties of the state, less than a quarter of the state's counties, and not including Columbus, because it's not considered a legacy city because it didn't depend on manufacturing in the same way. 57% of the state's GDP is located in less than a quarter of the counties, not counting the largest county uh, in the state of Ohio. So these places really, really matter. And I think so when we're thinking about the legacy that we're gonna leave, I think two things become really important. Um, one, don't forget where you came from. You know, I saw the news yesterday. I see Ken Prendergast is still scooping everybody as it comes to downtown Cleveland real estate and otherwise, that it looks like Sherwin-Williams is going to stay and reinvest significantly in downtown Cleveland. That's a legacy. That's a legacy company that's been here for over 150 years, or 100 years. And I hope that, you know, Cedar Point celebrates its 150th year this year. I want to be able to talk about them still being committed to and invested in downtown Sandusky 150 years from now. So I think it's important to remember where the money was made. I think it's important to remember uh, what matters in life in addition to economic growth. And I think that's critical. And I think it's also very important to remember to leave it better than you found it. The reality is we're all stewards. You know, none of us own these places. I inherited a legacy of a 201-year-old city, and at some point I'll pass that on to another city manager. Richard inherited a 150-year-old company, and at some point he'll pass that on to another CEO. And we have to really focus on what we can do to leave these places better than we found them. And so in addition to reinvention cities, our legacy cities, I think it's critical to talk about reinvention cities. And those are the smaller cities within the area. And when you talk about reinvention, so these are, these are 15 cities that collectively would be the second biggest city in the state, uh, not including Youngstown and up. And so when you think about those uh, cities, they're important too. And I think it's important to, to talk about reinvention because when reinvention, when you think about that term, that isn't uh, starting completely over, nor is it going back. We can't start over and we can't go back, so we have to reimagine ourselves. I think the bicentennial in Sandusky was a good example and a celebration of that, of how we reinvented ourselves. We focused on telling a proud story of our past, but we also focused on what that meant for our future. Uh, and, and there's another story. You know, the GM plant in Sandusky was called New Departure. Uh, and, and 3,000 people worked there at its prime. It's gone. A friend of mine started a film company. That's New Departure Films. You know, that's kind of ironic in some way, but I think he's building on that past, and he knows that his film company is not going to create 3,000 jobs, but the reality is he's helping us to build on our past to reimagine ourselves in proud ways. And there are a lot of other cities that are reinventing themselves, too, across the network, and Allison and her team helped me pull some of this together. In Mansfield, they're looking at things like intergenerational leadership. They've paired an established leader within the community with a young professional within the community, and then a local foundation funded all of them to go to South by Southwest. Uh, and they're, they're coming back and they're putting a plan together for Mansfield and sharing those new ideas. In Lima, they've concentrated on a challenge that we're all facing. And I know Abby with Ekadak, with Firelands Forward, is, is looking at the workforce challenge in the Firelands region in Sandusky. They partner their jobs and family services, their schools, and a local nonprofit, and they're making real strides as it relates to workforce. In Hamilton, which has a great city manager, Joshua Smith, they've really focused on how do they become a historic, walkable bedroom community to nearby Dayton and Cincinnati. And then ultimately, I had a chance to meet Tony Richardson yesterday from the Nord Family Foundation, and he's focused, and he's amazing. He's from Lorraine, he's back to Lorraine, and to me, that's the biggest story after spending a lot of time in Columbus. He's really focused on how do we build up the capacity within Lorraine or Elyria so that they have organizations who are funded and can go to scale and really impact the trajectory there. So those are some examples of what's happening in addition to places like Sandusky throughout the state. Uh, and I just want to leave with two, I think, uh, observations that I've noticed. I think there's a lot of debate in urban redevelopment and the reimagining of urban uh, places. 
as whether we're focused on people or place, with this idea that if you're focused on bricks and mortar redevelopment, that you're not focused on your human capital. And, and what I've seen is you can't have one without the other. I think it's people and place. You need folks like Dr. Sanders who are educating the next generation of Sandusky's leadership, and you need to nurture them. And we need to make sure that we have intergenerational leadership so that we are onboarding younger people with newer ideas faster. And I think it's also important to expand leadership horizontally so we look at who's not in the room, regardless of their age, whether that's by gender or by race or any other topic, and we expand that because when we do that, our diversity makes us stronger. And things like public transportation and youth recreation services are critical to how we do some of that. But it's also important, you know, I think it's critical that we bless our children in our regions with the gift of mobility. But it is equally as important that we're building the type of places that we can bring them home to. So that smart people who grow up in our area or people who value diversity or new ideas or are intellectually curious can see themselves coming back to these places. Because that will help our workforce challenges become so much uh, more solvable if we create the type of places that people want to be. And then finally, uh, I think it's important to know that most of the progress I've seen in my now almost 20 year career looking at these types of issues happens at the local level. You know, I think it is critical to note it's been the city partnering with private companies, partnering with uh, local foundations, local nonprofits, local institutions. And we are not focused on the partisan issues of the day. In fact, I don't usually know who I'm working with locally where their politics even is. We're just rolling up our sleeves and the outcomes that we're focused on aren't necessarily about winning elections. They're about making progress in our communities. And it's so hard because we know 2020 is going to be a crazy year. And, and, and ultimately, it's hard because I see things going so well at that partnership basis in Sandusky. But I know the second federal politics comes up, it's going to rip a lot of relationships apart. And, and I don't know the answer to that. I just know that it's important for us to stay focused locally, but to also acknowledge that state and federal policy is critically important to how these cities can succeed. And GOPC and Allison's team released some data yesterday that said the, the situation is a little mixed with the reinvention cities and the legacy cities. There are really positive signs, but there's also a long way to go. And most importantly, they gave five recommendations that I'll mention quickly, uh, one of which is uh, placemaking, focus on places, focus on public transportation, focus on housing, focus on building up the capacity of these communities, and uh, focus on removing blight. You know, and, and, and when you look at what Jobs Ohio is doing, um, I think they're getting some of those things right, but I think it's critically important when they talk about investing in multinational companies in a placeless way and not as rooted in what's happening on a place-based way in our downtowns with our public transportation systems, it kind of looks a lot like what got us into this mess in the first place to me. And so I want to make sure that as we all advocate and partner with state and federal officials, that we're thinking about people and places in additional to those who aren't as rooted in places like Ohio or the communities that make it. And then finally, I think it's important to say the most important thing I've seen in, in 20 years now of doing this type of work is it doesn't matter if they're a citizen, a business owner, a CEO, a city manager, a city commissioner, the most important characteristic is that you have enough people willing to work together who, you, who refuse to let their community fail. And I see a lot of those in this room and I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you.
Thank you, Eric. I think we would all agree that it takes a special person to come into a place, see all the pieces that are there, pull them together, and to bring people along with you to, to get the job done. And you have certainly done that both here in Cleveland, we've seen that, and now in Sandusky. Today at the City Club, we're listening to a forum with Eric Lopser, City Manager for Sandusky, Ohio. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. Holding the microphones today are Content and Communications Ma Manager Julia Wong and City Club intern Remy Orisanya. May we have the first question, please? Hi, Eric. I've been to probably 100 of these. I've never seen the warmth and affection uh, for any speaker that I've seen for you today, and I think that's a testament to who you are, Eric. Uh, and I told Dan, I think you should come back. Uh, they should double the ticket prices and think of the money you'll make, Dan, right? <laughs> Eric, you've done so many amazing things in Sandusky, you don't have enough time in the time they allotted. So I'm going to take this time to ask you about something you did around City Hall and moving the City Hall into some historic buildings in downtown. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a decade-long conversation in Sandusky. We had sort of a 1950s building about three-quarters of a mile outside of our historic downtown that was built in the 50s that everybody thought was a school when they walked into in, a, in an ugly old school. Most, a lot of you probably asked me if it was before you came in. And forever there was a conversation about could we move City Hall back to downtown and what would that take? And I think that's a testament to the political courage in this room and the incredible quality of the staff that we have in our development department that we're able to work with Maroos Brothers and forge a public-private partnership to take the three largest vacant buildings in downtown Sandusky and to do a mixed-use project with housing, our offices, and then three commercial storefronts right at the gateway to our downtown. And I do think that that has been a great catalyst uh, for others to reinvest in the downtown and, and a very special project. But I think most importantly, it's a message to those doing this type of work there are so many of these third rails that we think we don't or can't touch. And at the end of the day, I think in taking those things on, uh, we actually proved an ability to get things done and pave the way for others to take risks on their own. So. Hello, my name is Derek Graves with Snusky High School. Go Blue Streaks. <laughs> and I want to know, in your downtown Snusky bicentennial vision plan, what role do us as young people solve within that plan? So, thank you. Thank you. And I want to I first state, uh, one, I'm so grateful to Dr. Sanders and his team for bringing so many blue streaks. Uh, and I'm grateful for the second grade blue streak that joined the high schoolers here today, my son, Perry. Um, and I'll, I'll answer your question by saying, that plan is entirely about you. you know, and, and when I focus on both the people and the place side of what we're doing in that plan, the reality is, uh, if we only serve our existing residents, uh, a lot of whom are pensioners and, and, and aren't going to work again, um, we're not building the type of community that provides you with the tools that you need to succeed or the type of place that when you succeed, you'll choose to come home to. You know, we've sent a lot of kids off to Ohio State or Bowling Green or Kent State or schools throughout the state of Ohio or even beyond. And the reality is we can't live in a city that can't get our smartest ones back. And that doesn't mean that a lot of you shouldn't go out into the world for a while, but at the end of the day, if it makes sense for you, we want you right back home in Sandusky and we want to welcome others like you back to Sandusky. So take a look at that plan and, and when we look at making Sandusky a more exciting place, a more walkable place, uh, a place where you have uh, programs to go to while you're growing up and an exciting place to live in after you grow up, that's all for you. And if we're not getting it right, tell us because we need to change our strategy. So. Hi, Eric. Welcome back to Cleveland. 
Um, tell me about the housing stock in Sandusky. I've I, I visited, I've seen it. It looks like some of it was built as summer cottages and there's some other old stock that, what's going on with that and how are you improving the neighborhoods? It's old. And, uh, you know, we have some of the, I remember seeing some report, we have some of the oldest housing stock in the entire state. And, and for the really historic stuff, that's amazing. And you can see within walking distance of downtown some of our 19th century beautiful limestone. We've got some of the best limestone construction in the entire state, if not the country. Uh, you see that being renovated. You see that being a place that's reimagined. But we also have a lot of post-World War II worker housing that was built that is really antiquated. And both when I look locally at efforts of the county land bank, the city's land bank, we're investing about a half a million dollars a year ourselves into helping to revitalize that housing stock. I think it's critically important that uh, we're demolishing what needs to be demolished, but we need to have programs that help us to rehab what needs to be rehabbed. Uh, and, and a 1,200 to 1,500 square foot, three bedroom, one bath house uh, isn't necessarily what everyone is looking for these days, but I think it's the type of thing that if renovated and opened up a little bit and maybe finding a way to get a second bathroom in there, we can very strategically bring it back. We've done some things. We passed a residential tax abatement program, which is 10 years, 75% that was supported by the schools. Uh, we've created a neighborhood initiative, which Talon Floor from our office uh, is helping to lead, which is creating new parks in those neighborhoods. So we're, we're looking at what makes a neighborhood competitive and what makes a house competitive, and we're as, in a comprehensive way as possible trying to get that housing stock rehabilitated and to create demand for it. Because at the end of the day, and we saw this in Ohio City, uh, you know, it creates new challenges, but the best thing a government can do as it relates to housing stock is prime the market just enough for the market to establish itself. And once you see that happen, you're solving different challenges. But, but again, I'd say, you know, I hear a lot with Ohio City, uh, you know, there's a thousand people moving into the neighborhood and, and how that's so hard to embrace and so hard to change. And I know Graham's lived some of that and, and, and others. But the reality is the only thing worse than having a thousand people move into your urban struggling neighborhood is when they don't move into your neighborhood. <laughs> and, and I think we have to find ways to balance equity with development. You know, if you think Cleveland's biggest problem is that 20,000 people with mobility moved back into the city and not that 600,000 people with mobility moved out, I think we're trying to solve some of the wrong issues. And I'd say the same is true of Sandusky. We have to find a way to balance equity with opening up our arms and welcoming as many people from all walks of life back into our city. So. Hey, there, hey Eric. Uh, I just want to agree with Jim about the warmth of the reception. Um, it's a testament to who you are. You're always a part of us. And uh, I'll just riff with you on the bar analogy. Across the river, I once had a beer with a guy named Tim Donovan, who's about as rude <laughs> I think as, he was there. as Gillespie. Yeah. <laughs> but he was lamenting uh, Sadhu Johnston from the Green Building Coalition leaving to go to the city of Chicago. And he said, why would anybody ever leave Cleveland? I think you've never really left Cleveland, just part of a greater Cleveland. Um, wanted to ask you about, uh, there's so much to ask you, but you, congratulations on your uh, re-upping on your contract and the uh, commission's uh, vote of confidence in you. What strikes me about your success in your first few years into it have been your approach to partnership. And I guess it just, all of what you just riffed off about the successes of Sandusky, um, you didn't put it on you, you put it on all the partners around you, which really comes back to you and the way that you network those partners. Just wonder if you could comment about your first year approach or first or second year approach to the partnerships when you went back to Sandusky. It's funny because, th and thank you, Chris, and it means a lot to me to have you be here with all of the change that you've led in Cleveland. I've gotten advice both when I took my first director position at Ohio City Near West and then when I took my city manager position in Sandusky that was to go slow, like take a year, uh, figure out what's going on in the neighborhood, and uh, then 
decide from there how to position yourself. And I have to be honest in saying that's not how I approached either of those positions. Um, but I think it was out of necessity in some ways. I think two things. One, I deeply knew Ohio City when I went to Ohio City. I'd lived there for five years and I dreamed about it for longer than that. And I deeply knew Sandusky and had spent most of my nights for a long time thinking about how to make Sandusky better. So I had some ideas as to who the players were and what we needed to do. But we dove in and, and we forged relationships. And I remember meeting with Duff and Matt. We met uh, probably within a week of starting at Sandusky and really hatching out the plan for issue eight and figuring out what we could do to, to partner together. And so I think it's diving right in. I think it's okay to lead with vision, but I think it is really critically important to know and to understand how many, the, uh, how many things that the other partners bring to the table. Because the reality is if anything was left to me, not much would get done around the house in Sandusky and Ohio City. And, and so I have to partner to get things done. And, and um, so a few things. One is find those players who are doing something, you know, and some of them are small business owners. Some of those are your institutional stakeholders who, you know, basically at some point everybody who could get out of town did in some of these places. So you look for who's left and figure out how to work with them. And then I'd say secondarily as you, as you lead with vision, that a lot of people start with how do I get the resources? And I think it's important to start with vision and then that necessarily leads to the resources. If you work it the other way around, it can be really, really hard. But once you have those resources, you need to build a team. And when I think of the team that we had in Ohio City, and I think of the team that we have in the city of Sandusky now, both in-house and out-of-house, they were dream teams. And, and uh, ultimately, they're the ones on a day-to-day -day basis working through partnerships that are getting things done. But it's all about collaboration and partnership. If you don't do it, you can't succeed. And a lot of that's putting your ego aside. And that can, that can be the hardest thing to do, is to believe in something so much that you can visualize what success looks like, but then having to give pieces of it away to others because you know you need them to do it. But if we can't do it, we can't succeed. So, Good afternoon. Um, thank you for coming, I appreciate it. My, my question is simply, how has uh, the city of Sandusky incorporated purpose-built affordable housing into its short-term and long-term plan for sustainability? Thank you. Yeah. I think affordability is something that is really difficult in Sandusky right now because I think if you ask your average person working in civic life in Erie County, they think of Sandusky on some levels as affordable, but the reality is for working people it isn't, and a lot of what is affordable to people isn't quality. And so Commission President Murray is a huge proponent of things like code enforcement that can raise the quality of the built environment so that our tenants and uh, ultimately uh, the citizens of the city have better circumstances and higher quality housing, but that can also create constraints on rental and, and ultimately uh, affordability of, of for sale housing. And so I think we're in a really unique and difficult place. I'm very fortunate that we have Matt Lasko as our chief development officer who did a lot of housing work in Detroit Shoreway, which is probably the preeminent housing nonprofit in greater Cleveland that works on a local level. Uh, and he has built programs with incentives for uh, investment in housing. He's built up strong code enforcement. But we really do need to crack affordability. If you look at OFA, we've had a few applications gone go into the state from Sandusky, and because it is so competitive and there's so much need in the larger cities, we've had not we have very limited success in the applications. And so I think part of that is finding pots of money for smaller places that are urban and do struggle from affordable housing issues. But I'd be uh, being dishonest if I feel like 
we have that problem licked. We don't, but Matt and I were just talking the other day as we go into our, our new strategic plan, which starts this year, is we've done a lot to try to stimulate housing through the land bank, through the rehabilitation programs, and through the tax abatement. The next step is really how to figure out how to take those issues, including affordability, to scale. So. Hi, Eric. Mr. Westerhold. Last year, <laughs> last year, we saw Cedar Point have an enormous success. Uh, and there was a lot of traffic flow into the park where at one point the park wasn't taking more guests. For local people, the traffic isn't a big problem. We know how to get around it. But for tourists coming here who are turned away, that can be a problem. So I guess my question is, is do you expect that success to continue like it was last year? And is the city planning road construction or uh, in partnership with Cedar yeah. Fair to rebuild the entryways or yeah. come up with a plan to handle m bigger crowds? So to answer your first question as to whether we hope that success continues, I sure hope so. And I think Richard probably sure hopes so. <laughs> and, and, and you know, too many people, it's kind of like the 20,000 people moving back in the city. It's a better problem to have than the alternative of an extra million people trying to get into the world's best amusement park on an annual basis. And I think we're, we are talking to Cedar Fair, and we are looking at both short and long-term solutions to those challenges. We know they've already begun to implement short-term improvements. Jason and Ed Dangler and I met uh, just probably three weeks ago where they talked about some construction they're doing to try to move people through their own gates faster and to eliminate some bottlenecks that actually happen on the causeway or at the gateway to the park. In addition to that, I know Duff's working on planning for whether we're talking about Route 6, or we're talking about the causeway, or we're talking about First Street, that can look at how we can eliminate pinch points in different ways uh, in a longer term basis. And then finally, and one of the things that I'm most excited about conceptually, we've been talking about how do we get people to the park in different ways. You know, we're building a bike network. Uh, we would love to see a water taxi network, potentially some of that being hubbed out of downtown Sandusky. And we've had a great partnership develop with Cedar Point as it relates to public transportation. And so there's a lot of issues that we have to look at but I think one of the best solutions that we can figure out with Cedar Fair is not only how to move the cars into the park, but it is also how we look at other ways to get people to the park. Because guess what? If they park before they go to Cedar Point, it's a lot more likely they're going to stay longer and invest in other places. And so we really look forward to finding a lot of creative solutions. And I expect that to be a big part of that next planning stage for the city as well. So. Eric, I think the city's done a nice job with focusing on using the arts as one of the tools that you've uh, used in the past few years with the New City Art Council and public art. Can you talk a little bit about the role that the arts play in legacy cities and reimagining them? Absolutely, Chris. And Chris is the director of our state theater, which is one of the most important cultural anchors located in Sandusky. has been a huge partner, and he sits on that. Uh, we passed a percent for the art program, and we consulted with uh, my old friend Greg Peckham, currently Land Studio, formerly of Cleveland Public Art. Uh, to talk about how we can invest more in art. And what we did is we actually took one percentage of our admissions tax, which has been growing thanks to the success of Cedar Point, and we put that towards artistic projects on an annual basis. But we're also looking at how we do more cultural programming within the city. And so we've took, taken our lodging tax, which is also growing, and we've set aside 10% of that annually, which is less than the rate of growth that we've experienced over the last three years. And we dedicated that to, towards doing cultural programming in the city. And we're rebuilding the Jackson Street Pier. And I know Alex Pesta from City Architecture is here. And he's been a really important part of, of the plan for the pier. And that's being designed to specifically be able to host cultural programming in the heart of downtown. And there are so many examples here 
uh, of how arts have played a transformative role in Cleveland's downtown and in Cleveland's neighborhoods and in places like University Circle, that uh, you know, smaller cities have a lot less civic infrastructure and a lot less history in investing in the arts. But we know Sandusky, particularly as a destination, uh, can grow that and it can be really rich and an economic development tool for us. And you know, there's 11 million people every year that come to the Lake Erie Shores and Islands region. I bet the city of Sandusky outside of Cedar Point's capturing a pretty small market share of that right now. I know cultural programming, public art, things that get people excited are a way that we can grab a lot more of that market as it grows and get them to check out the downtown and check out Sandusky's neighborhoods. So. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, you talked about uh, diversifying economic development beyond the tourism. Can you expand on that a little bit? Are you targeting certain industries? Uh, industrial versus service sector, or is it more of a broad-based approach? I think it's much more of a broad-based approach. Uh, I think there are others out there, and, and Abby from Erie County Economic Development Corporations here, who are very focused on what sectors. You know, everybody knows that Sandusky has a NASA uh, station, Plum Brook, and a lot of really smart people have been trying to figure out how we leverage that, and it's doing really well for testing now, but I think a lot of folks know that there is some underutilized potential on the table there and that a lot of smart people can get together and figure that out. Uh, so there is some looking at new industries. It's a lot of working with existing companies. You know, Most of the multinational manufacturing that existed in Sandusky and probably a lot of places like it has moved on. But we have a ton of mom and pop locally based manufacturers of people who not only are, are operating a plant like Luco, but they tend to be civic leaders in the community too because they're based there. And so we're having a lot of talks with them about how we can help them grow. And one of their biggest challenges and what Firelands Forward, our own workforce initiative is about, is helping them to find the skilled labor that they need. And then finally, uh, and I think part of it is taking, building on that tourism. You know, the Bowling Green State University program has allowed us to get in the foot in the door with higher education located in the downtown. How can we expand programs with BG and provide better access to education across a multiple number of fields, you know, within walking distance or easy transit connections from our city population, many of whom don't have access to a car or struggle to get to and from what is a more remotely located college presence in our area now. Um, and then finally, just supporting entrepreneurs, you know, and, and, and a lot of them are figuring out creative ways to get those 11 million tourists to spend money with them. And, and unlike a lot of other small businesses or mom and pop shops, uh, when we attract retail, oftentimes a significant percentage of that is coming from wealth that was generated outside the city that's creating wealth in the city. So, you know, we're trying to become a more educated, a more resilient place, uh, and we know that that's a multi-generational play, also a more attractive place, so we build on the fact that we're a destination and we've got islands and lakes and, and a historic, gorgeous downtown, so that ta a place that talented people would want to be even as we invest in our human infrastructure and our physical infrastructure so we can better target industries and help local companies grow. So. Hi, good afternoon, hey, Eric, and uh, congratulations on all the success uh, that you had both here in Cleveland and in Sandusky. So in the next few years, there's gonna be a lot of elections. We've got the federal elections this year and city next year, and of course, county and state in 2022. So my question uh, to you would be, if you could offer advice to candidates who are running for office about the importance of a cohesive vision and the impact that, that could have on a stronger community, uh, what would you say to those people? I always encourage people who have it in their heart to run for an office to run for an office. Um, and I know that, you know, as I watch Cleveland from a distance, it seems like people are really watching the local elections here over the next few years and figure that this may be a, uh, a pivot point. Maybe we're just because of people either aging out of positions, et cetera, that there's going to be a time for change. And I think the more that, I don't know, it's so hard for me because we talk a lot about elections and 
I've avoided running for office to this point and probably want to continue to do that because I see so many other effective ways to do it. But I know that there have been many times when I've been frustrated by those in elected office uh, on a federal level, on a state level, and even a local level, although we have great partners at the local level. Um, and so I just think, again, it's the same thing. It's rolling up your sleeves. It's working together. I think really looking at the playbook from Allison and Greater Ohio, not from a political sense, but just a, there's a coalition there to be built on a statewide basis. Uh, you know, People look at a place like Erie County, and they either write it off as red or they write it off as blue. And the reality is there's a lot of blue and red in a place like Erie County. And I think both parties could do a better uh, better at micro-targeting the urban places within rural or small town regions. And I think in that coalition, you'll find when it comes to transit funding or land bank funding or all those things that matter to all of us who represent legacy cities, uh, we'll get better policy coming our way regardless of who is the governor or regardless of who is the president. So I just think we should band together and continue to work together and sharing ideas and speaking with one voice. So thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Mr. Wilpser. And thank you, members and friends of the City Club, with special thanks to our City Club members who financials, whose financial support makes our work possible. To find out more about upcoming forums and how you can support the City Club, visit us online at cityclub.org. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.